Hello, everybody. We want to welcome you, whether you're joining us on Facebook or 105.9 The Bash or on our website, bachelorcreek.com. We're continuing our series called Upside Down Kingdom. We've been talking about the one thing Jesus talked about more than any other in his earthly ministry, and that is the kingdom of God. And we're trying to take that which seems so abstract and make it very concrete in our daily lives. So what comes to your mind when you think of kingdom? Typically, we think of a monarch who rules a certain geographic region, and they enforce their rule through laws and military might. And this is what people in Jesus' day thought when they heard the word kingdom. So when Jesus tells them that the kingdom of God is near and that he came to bring the kingdom, they are just assuming that at any moment, Jesus is going to unleash all his power and might against Rome and liberate the Jewish people. But Jesus wasn't talking about a kingdom of military strength. His kingdom would be built on strength of character. He wasn't talking about creating an army who would use their hands to crush their enemies, but would use their hands to serve their enemies. It was this invisible kingdom that would turn the visible world upside down. When Jesus told us to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we're praying, God, may what is up there come down here. May earth reflect in every possible way what is going on in heaven. So this series is so important because it informs us about what it means to live in such a way as to make that prayer a reality, that we live in a way that brings heaven down to earth. And the incredible thing that happens when you live a kingdom-centered life, where that is your first priority and that is your first allegiance, is that it not only makes life better, but it makes you better at life. Isn't that what we want, to live for the purpose we were created for? Jesus shows us in flesh and blood what the ideal human experience should look like. And he models everything that his kingdom represents. And today we're going to look at how his kingdom represents others first. I think there is one thing that we can all agree on. And that is that none of us has ever experienced a time in our nation where we are more deeply divided than we are right now. We all feel this tension culturally, politically, racially, socially, religiously. I would have thought that this current pandemic would have brought us together as a people. And while there have been some great stories of altruism, by and large, we have seen this pandemic uh, politicized and further the tear in the fabric of American brotherhood. In our country, we have Republicans versus Democrats, Socialists versus Capitalists, Liberals versus Conservatives, Fox News versus CNN, iPhone fans versus Samsung fans, people who drink coffee with cream, and real men. Nice and black. You look at all these things that divide us right now, and you wonder, is there anything that can bring us together? Is there a common banner that humanity can unite under? And the answer is yes. There is a sentence uttered by Jesus 2,000 years ago that even all religions of the world have affirmed. And here are his words in Matthew 7:12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
This is why this is referred to as the golden rule, because humanity collectively agrees that this is the basis for a good society. And I don't need to spend a lot of time tearing this verse apart, parsing the words, getting out the Greek, because it speaks for itself. It's so easy that a child can understand it. But again, just like every other principle in the kingdom of Jesus, it's simple, but living it out is where the rub comes. And I really wonder how good of a job we're doing at this. Now again, these were the words of Jesus, but in the rest of the New Testament, the authors extend what Jesus says in specific ways. And they do it with two-word phrase, one another. That phrase, one another, is used 59 times in the New Testament. And there's different words put in front of it. For instance, the Bible says, be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Be patient with one another. Pray for one another. Accept one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And the one that is closely related to what Jesus says is, submit to one another. All these things are what we want people to do for us. And the Bible says that kingdom-minded people do these things for others. So what I want to do in our remaining time is just shine a light on two of these one another's. Two ways we put others first rather than our individual selves. Now, just as a disclaimer, I have by no means become an expert or authority in these areas. I'm a fellow struggler, constantly battling the kingdom of self as I strive for the kingdom of Jesus. But here's number one. Encourage others first. We are very quick to want encouragement from others, aren't we? You know, as I got to thinking about this, I thought, you know, the creators of social media were geniuses because they tapped into and found a market for the one thing that every human being wants. What do we all want? Affirmation. Think about it. When we post something for the world to see on social media, what is it we're hoping to get in return? A like. Or even better, a love, you know, with that little heart. And the more likes and the more loves and the more comments we get, the better we feel about ourselves. It's like we all have this inner approval addiction. Here's my new haircut. Here's my new house. Here's my new car. Here's my beautiful kids. Here's the latest accomplishment. All of them seeking the same thing. Encouragement. In fact, scientists tell us that when we see a like on our Facebook page, we get a shot of dopamine right to the brain, which creates this kind of momentary euphoria. And I'm not saying that any of this is wrong or bad. What I'm saying is that in God's kingdom, we look for ways not to be encouraged by others first, but to encourage others first. And there was a guy in the Bible who lived in the time of Jesus, and he gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to encourage others first. His name was Joseph. You might know him better by the name of Barnabas. We get introduced to him for the very first time in Acts chapter 4. Now let me give you some context of what's going on. The good news of Jesus is spreading like fire through the first century world. In one day, 3,000 people were baptized. And then just two chapters later in the book of Acts, the numbers of believers exceed 5,000. So here's what we read starting in Acts 4.33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You know what I love about that text? Is that it shows us how each person is needed to further the gospel. You got the apostles doing what Jesus told them to do, to spread the good news of salvation through Christ. And you've got people like Joseph and others who don't necessarily have the gift of preaching, but who thought to himself, man, there is something good going on. God is moving in our part of the world, and I want to get behind this. So he takes this worldly treasure that he has, land, and he sells it so that that money can be used to meet needs in the church, and thereby converting that from a worldly treasure into a heavenly treasure. Just the kind of thing we talked about last week, one that will last forever. And this financing of the ministry allows them to go further and faster with the good news of Jesus. Do you know what we would call Joseph, who was also called Barnabas? We would call him a gospel patron. This is a title designated to those who give, invest, and sacrifice so the proclaiming of the gospel can continue. And while Barnabas may have been one of the very first gospel patrons, he certainly wasn't the last. History records for us numerous men and women who financed and resourced some of the great movements of God and revivals in our land. It's like someone has said before, salvation is free, but it costs to do ministry. And that's totally true. In fact, while I was at the church this week getting ready for this message, I got a text from a young couple that they were waiting out at the office doors. So I go out to the front office doors to unlock them. And as I'm talking to this couple, they said the reason they came to the church was to bring out their offering check. Now, let me tell you something. This couple is newly married. They're a one-income household expecting their first child, and they could have used this present economic situation as a justification to just hold off on giving to see how things shake out. But no, there they were, smiles on their faces, giving just like they always do. But do you know why? Because they have made the choice to be gospel patrons. They are financing the advancement of the kingdom of God. And it's not just them. But everyone from our church who gives online, writes a check, or funds this ministry in some way, you are encouraging people every time you do that. With every initiative we launch, with every local and global outreach, you are encouraging people. And I think sometimes some of you might be tempted to look at the size of our campus and our budget and our staff, and you see everything going along so well. And you might be tempted to think, well, they're doing just fine without me. But listen, because of the size of everything, and because we want to do big things for God, we need everybody. So let me thank all of the gospel patrons at Batcher Creek for your continued encouragement through giving. And let me encourage those of you who are not yet to become a gospel patron of our ministry, just like Barnabas, and so encourage others. But Barnabas encouraged in another way. The Bible tells us about a legalistic religious Jew named Saul, 
who believed that this movement of Jesus and these Christians were a false religion, heresy, and needed to be eradicated. So he pursued them, beat them, imprisoned them, and was responsible for some of their deaths. And then one day, this same Saul had a conversion experience on the road to Damascus, where Jesus himself appeared to him and he was converted. Think about that. The one who had tried to eradicate the message of Jesus was now going to be the one taking the name of Jesus to the nations. But he had one obstacle to convince others that he was legitimately one of them, a follower of Christ, because his track record proved that he should be feared as an enemy instead of embraced as a brother. Just listen to Acts 9.26. When he, meaning Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, there he is again, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. This is huge, folks, because we don't know him as Saul. We know him as the apostle Paul. And he's responsible for taking the gospel throughout the first century world as the greatest missionary ever known. But without Barnabas, guess what? We don't have a Paul, and we don't have most of the New Testament. We don't have our favorite verses like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or nothing can separate us from the love of God, or there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, or the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. If you have a favorite verse in the New Testament, chances are it was written by Paul. But it all goes back to this guy named Joseph, who they renamed Barnabas because he was such an encourager. So let me ask you, who can you encourage? Who can you invest in? Who could you just start praying for on a daily basis? Who could you just pull aside today and say, you're doing a great job? Or you've had such a powerful impact on my life. I've had people send encouragement my way over the last six weeks. People from our church calling to check on me and my family, sending emails of appreciation and encouragement. I even had a friend who doesn't even go to our church order pizza and send it to our house just as a way of encouraging our family. And as I've said before, encouragement takes very little effort but pays huge dividends. So let's be thinking of ways we can encourage others first. Next, serve others first. This is a little more difficult because it takes more than just our words. It will require our time, maybe our strength, most definitely our humility. You see, greatness in God's kingdom is never to be found in position or power or in the praise and opinions of men, but in servant-like service to others. In fact, here's what Jesus said in Mark 10, 43. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Listen to this. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus always models what he says and asks of others. 
So the setting is the night before Jesus is crucified, and he and his disciples are sharing their last meal together. We find in John 13 one of the greatest examples of this. John 13, 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now allow me to give you some context for what's going on here. Back in the first century, they traveled on dirt roads. They didn't have covered tennis shoes like we have. They had open-toed sandals. And it wasn't just people walking on those roads. It was camels, horses, donkeys, goats, all sorts of livestock were traveling up and down these roads. And because of that and the occasional rainstorm and the animal excrement on the road, when you walked into somebody's house, your feet stunk. So typically there would be a paid servant at the door who washed the feet of those who entered because nobody wanted to do that. This wasn't a position that people would volunteer for because it was a bottom rung kind of a job. And if there was no paid servant at the door, then typically the first person in the room would assume the job until someone of a lower class or lower rank came in and then it would be handed off to that person to wash the feet. So here's Jesus and his disciples gathered at this Passover feast. And obviously not a one of them had volunteered for the position. And because of pride, none of them would ever admit that they were lower than the other when it came to status. And back then when you ate a meal, you reclined at a table. You sat on the ground, putting feet close to the same level as noses. So I imagine that Jesus walks in, catches a whiff of the room, and realizes nobody has washed anybody's feet. And he's got to be thinking to himself, I've spent three years with you guys modeling servanthood, teaching about servanthood, pointing you to servanthood. So why is the room filled with stinky feet? So they would rather sit with filth on their feet than take a step toward servanthood. So Jesus grabs a towel and begins to wash their feet. And it was probably dead quiet when he did it, and each of them probably regretting that they didn't first do it for the rest of the group. And in the midst of it, Jesus says, as he's washing their feet, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash, say it with me, one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Listen, friends, our church, really every church exists because of those who serve others first. I think of women like Mo Lester and Tracy Short, who served in our nursery for decades, loving babies, serving moms and dads, allowing them to worship in peace. I think of someone like Nancy Crom, who has been serving in twos and threes for over 50 years. That's longer than I've been alive. But she loves serving those little kids. I think of someone like Paul Morani, who for 40 years, he would come to the church in the wee hours every Sunday morning and prepare communion for the body of Christ. I think of someone like Joe Gentile, who rain or shine, you'll find him out here mowing the churchyard for free, usually on a Friday or Saturday, so that it looks great when people show up on a Sunday morning. And each of these people that I just mentioned are probably blushing at home right now 
Because that's not why they do it, for the recognition. They serve because their king served. And their number one question is very simple. It's this, how can I help? And we need more people who come into the body with that kind of how can I help spirit. So if you're looking for a place where you can make a kingdom advancing kind of difference, I hope you'll contact Ryan Keim, who's our Next Steps minister, or take advantage of our Open Doors class the next time that it's going to be offered. And there we'll help you get plugged in to a kind of kingdom advancing service here at the church. I want to end with this. Most of us grew up today watching an influential character named Mr. Rogers. Hard telling how many children have tuned into his neighborhood on a daily basis over the past couple of decades. Well, it was no surprise to anybody when he was awarded with the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys in 1997. But what he did during his acceptance speech kind of stunned the audience. I want you to listen to what he says. It is my honor on behalf of everyone here and on behalf of the millions of children whose mornings you have brightened with your kindness to present you with this Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. Uh, so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here, some are far away, some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Special thanks to my family and friends and to my coworkers in public broadcasting, family communications, and this academy for encouraging me allowing me all these years to be your neighbor. May God be with you. Thank you very much. I want you to think about that. Who did you think of in those 10 seconds? What person comes to your mind who has encouraged you or served you or helped you in a way that led to you being the person you are today? Who is that person you could honor with a phone call, a Facebook post, an email, a letter, a dinner out, or a face-to-face -face conversation and just say, thank you. Thank you how you encouraged me. Thank you how you served me. Let me honor you for what you've done for me. Can I encourage you to take some time this week 
to make the kingdom choice. It's always a choice to serve those who served you and encourage those who encouraged you by honoring them in a special way and let them know what a difference they have made in your life. Think about how different our world would be if we would do to others what we would have them do to us. Because that's the way of the kingdom. Now would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come to you admitting that each of us to some degree or another, is an approval addict. We're always looking for what others can do for us more than what we can do for others. And Lord, I pray that the more we see the way of Jesus, we'll see that the things that attract us so much to him are the things that we need to embrace in our life. So Lord, I pray that after we get through watching this, we'll we'll pick up a phone, we'll pick up a pen, we'll get onto a computer at a keyboard, And we'll send an email or post on Facebook or or just do something to send some encouragement to somebody who has encouraged us. We'll serve them in some way like they've served us. Lord, help us to always be looking for ways that we can encourage others first rather than seeking encouragement first. How we can give more likes than get more likes. Help us, Lord, to look for ways in the local body of Christ that we can ask the question, how can I help? And we make ourselves available to that end. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus who modeled service and encouragement for us in every possible way, even to the point of laying down his life. And in the same way, Lord, may we lay down our lives for the sake of encouraging and serving others as well. Be with us, Lord. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name, amen.